Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, April 30th. This is The Financial Show, and we're taking a break from some of our usual coverage to talk about dividend yield traps. I'm your host, Michael Douglas, and I'm joined by Matt Frankel. Matt, great to have you back. Always good to be here. Fantastic. So, folks, think of this as a bit of a follow-up from Vince Shen's Consumer Goods Show last Tuesday, April 24th. Uh, it was a great episode where he and MotleyFool.com uh, contributor Asit Sharma talked through stock screening tools and how they can help you source new stock ideas. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. It was really thoughtful, really informative, a lot of good kind of action-oriented stuff that you can do uh, right from it. Really just a great set of resources for investors, and I thought they did a great job of really just kind of putting that all together. So, one of the first things that I see plenty of people do when they start screening for stocks or funds is to look for high dividend yields. And it kind of makes sense in theory, right? You know, dividend is this income that theoretically, hopefully, <laughs> you can sort of count on. And so that makes that that does a lot to uh, uh, sort of a, a lot of new investors kind of like immediately looking for that sort of thing. Sure. I mean, all things being equal, of course, you want a higher dividend yield. Uh, just to give you a personal example, when I was kind of trying to decide between AT&T and Verizon for an investment, the fact that AT&T had a higher yield when pretty much the rest of the business I valued the same way, give or take, played a big role in my decision to choose AT&T over Verizon for my own portfolio. So just all things being equal, dividend higher dividend yields are obviously better. You want dividends to compound over time. A higher starting payment will allow you to compound more over time. But there's a little problem behind that, which we'll get into in just a second. Yeah, and that is that really high dividend yields. Now, how do we define that? There's nuance there, and we'll get into that a little bit further down the line. But really high dividend yields sometimes signal trouble. Uh, you can There is this thing that happens to a lot of new investors, and it actually happened to me, um, where uh, folks will see this really high yield and say, okay, great, this is the business. You know, It's a 20% yield. How can I lose money? This happened to me. Trust me, I lost 99.9% of my investment. Best $200 I ever lost, by the way, or I've ever spent on just about anything, because I learned so much about how not to invest <laughs> off that. And I think you have to first learn what how not to invest before you figure out how to invest. But we call these yield traps, and it's essentially a, a stock that has a massive dividend and people buy it because it looks so like such a juicy dividend. And the problem is that the business itself is actually fundamentally in a shaky spot, and there's a lot more at risk than you usually associate with a dividend stock. And, and, we, and, we, and we call that a yield trap. Yeah, you'll see a, a yield trap either, like Michael said, the business is there's something wrong with it. It could be a declining market. Um, it could be that they're using a ton of of leverage. I mean, there's a million different, there's a bunch of different reasons, which we'll get into more specifically in a minute. But basically, a dividend yield trap is a case of if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, there right. are a, there, and there are a lot of high yielding stocks that should immediately set off red flags in your head as an investor. Right. So um, I received two listener questions in the last week and a half about dividend funds that I kind of viewed as yield traps. And, you know, I have no idea if that was tied to a screen that they'd done as a result of uh, Vince and Ossett's fantastic episode. But we figured this was a great opportunity to talk about yield traps. It's kind of on my mind anyway. And uh, really just sort of talk through what that looks like. On the general idea that where two are emailing, perhaps many of the other dozens 
of our podcast listeners are thinking about some of this and maybe have already performed some screens and found some really high-yielding dividend stocks. So in today's episode, we're going to talk through dividend yield traps conceptually and then go through some examples of stocks that Matt and I view as potential dividend yield traps. If you're interested in learning more about this concept and how to avoid them, we've put together some great resources for you. A dividend yield trap checklist based off today's episode and an in-depth article that further explores the concepts we're covering today. If you want those, send us an email at industryfocus@fool.com, and we'll be happy to send those along. Now, this is basically the longest wind-up ever, everyone, and I'm sorry about that, but I just thought that the story behind this was really interesting. Um, so, with all that in mind, we see kind of five indicators that a stock may be a dividend yield trap. And let me be clear here, may is the operative term. There is unfortunately no magic formula that guarantees a stock as a yield trap. You'll really only know after the fact. Basically, they cut the dividend or the biz, you know, company goes out of business or or even something less gr- less terrible happens than that, but just in general the the company just doesn't really move forward and is really struggling with the business. Um, for me, when I'm looking at stocks, when I'm screening for stocks, and, and when I'm approaching stocks, if a stock I'm evaluating checks at least two of the boxes, two of the five that we're going to talk about, I tend to get a little bit nervous. That's when I'm tending to think, okay, my risk is pretty high. Even if my returns are okay, I'm looking at a relatively high risk-adjusted return. And as an investor, I want to avoid that. Generally speaking, <clears throat> I'm only willing to take on risk when I'm getting a really impressive potential return. Of course, your mileage may vary, and no one can predict the future, but that's kind of personally where I lean. Yeah, and I, I like the number two that you just mentioned, two of the five boxes. Um, specifically, as you'll see in a minute when we go through these, any one of them doesn't necessarily indicate trouble. Uh, I already kind of mentioned leverage briefly earlier, and there are companies that take on a lot of debt for very legitimate reasons. So that in itself wouldn't be a cause for concern. Um, obviously, if a company checks all five of the boxes, I would run in the other direction. <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> but two, I'd say two or more definitely warrants a closer look and kind of some some caution. Approach was caught with caution if there's two or more. Yeah. All right. So with all of that, let's talk about the criteria. So the first one is the one that probably attracted you to the company in the first place, an unusually high dividend yield. And to be clear here, unusually high dividend yield really depends to some extent on the sector that we're talking about. A real estate investment trust, or REIT, um, they tend to have higher dividend yields because they're actually required to pay out all, or well, almost all of their otherwise taxable earnings as dividends. That's just how REITs are structured. MLPs tend to have really high dividend yields just as a sector. Tech companies tend to have relatively low dividend yields. And so, you know, while a, a, um, a 5% dividend yield or a 6% dividend yield in a REIT isn't necessarily outside the realm of normal, in a tech company, it might be. Um, you know, a, a bank that's yielding, you know, 7 or 8% that immediately causes kind of this yellow flag. Again, it's a, it's a potential issue. Yeah, it's all about kind of comparing a company with its peers. I mentioned earlier AT&T and Verizon. That's a great way to compare two stocks that are kind of very similar business models to see if one has an unusually high yield. Um, even within sectors, there are you know fast-growing tech stocks, and then there are the you know mature companies like, say, Microsoft. Right. So... It kind of pays to like look at a company in relation to its peer group, I would say, to see if it has an unusually high yield or not before you kind of move on and check that box. 
Right. And and one thing that we'll be kind of sharing in the write-up um, is sort of some general thoughts within financials as to what a pretty typical dividend yield uh, for each of the kind of main financials sectors at least looks like, just so you kind of get that, that feel for like, okay, 6%, that seems like a lot, or maybe it's not in this case. Um, so, again, to reiterate one more time, and this will be the last time I say it, I promise, not you know, no one criterion is necessarily enough for concern. It's really, I think, once we get to two. Um, the second one, as you talked about earlier, Matt, is excessive debt. Yeah, um, the general idea is the more debt a company has, the more likely it is to run into trouble when things don't go its way. Um, there's an old saying that a company with no debt can never go bankrupt. <laughs> um, not entirely accurate, but it's it's pretty pretty efficient or effective. Um, the way I like to look at this is look at a company's debt to equity ratio, which you can easily find both of those numbers right on its balance sheet, um, outstanding debt and shareholders equity. Um, and compare that not just with itself to see if it seems like it has a high level of debt, but compare it like with, um, the dividend yield with other companies in its industry to see if something seems kind of out of whack. Um, like, uh, telecom companies like AT&T and Verizon tend to take on more debt than um, uh, tech companies, which tend to have very little debt for the most part. Right. Um, REITs tend to take on a lot more debt than, say, um, restaurants. Right. So this is not an apples-to-apples comparison. Um, just because some a company has, say, higher than a one-to-one debt-to-equity ratio doesn't necessarily mean that it's a big red flag, but if a company has a debt to equity ratio of say 3 to 1 and the rest of the companies in its sector are in the 1 to 2 range then it might be a cause for alarm right um, and i mean keep in mind as well we're in financials this is a pretty levered area just in general banks reits you know a lot of these companies do tend to take on a fair amount of debt so that nuance is really important because you know that just because there's a fair amount of debt you know, doesn't necessarily mean anything bad if that's kind of how things operate. But again, it's all about kind of that nuance in that story. Number three, payout ratio. Right. And there's a couple ways you can calculate this depending on what kind of sector or what sector you're talking about. Uh, payout ratio in its simplest form is just the ratio of a company's dividends paid per year to its earnings per year. So if a company earned 50 cents last year and paid out, or I'm sorry, if a company paid out 50 cents in dividends last year, and earned a dollar per share, its payout ratio would be 50%. Um, payout ratios above 100% are particularly alarming. Um, the one kind of area where that wouldn't apply to is REITs, companies like that have to pay out a lot of their earnings and have a lot of accounting uh, things like depreciation that kind of distort what they're actually making. Uh, in REITs cases, actually, there's a lot of times you'll see REITs with payout ratios just based on earnings of well over 100%. And not only is it okay, it's actually very sustainable in some cases. Right. Um, with REITs, you want to use a metric, metric called funds from operations, or FFO for short. Um, that's kind of the REIT version of earnings that takes into account depreciation and things like that. Right. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, one of the other pieces is that um, sometimes a company buys another company. We've, we've all probably been watching enough news to see that happening. And 
as a result, their earnings will be materially affected for a year, right? And so that that payout ratio might spike well above earnings for a year. But that was something that they in all likelihood planned for. They had some cash set aside for it. They didn't want to interrupt the dividend that year. But in that case, it's it's useful to look back, you know, a couple of years and say, oh, okay, well, before company A bought company B, you know, this one year thing what was the payout ratio? One of the other ways to look at payout ratio, by the way, is um, the cash dividend payout ratio, which is to look at um, uh, operating cash flow uh, minus capital expense, uh, minus capital expenses, um, and sort of compare that to the dividend payout. So if they're paying out, you know, fifty cents per share in cash, um, and yet yeah, they, you know, have free cash flow of a dollar, then it's a fifty percent, you know, uh, cash flow uh, cash dividend payout ratio. Right. That um, earnings can be deceiving is kind of the takeaway there. Yeah. Um, in several, in, especially like you said, in the case where one company buys another company, um, there's all kinds of accounting rules that are way too complex to get into in a 30 minute podcast um, that can really distort a company's earnings and make a dividend look too high when it's really not, or make a dividend look sustainable when it's really not. Right. So it's, important to take a few different things into account, uh, cash flow being one of them. Uh, if a company's bringing in more money than it's paying out, then you might be okay. Right. And that actually segues us very nicely, and I will admit on my part unintentionally, into uh, our fourth potential flag, which is little or negative cash flow. Right. You don't want to see a company with negative cash flow um, after paying dividends, especially before paying dividends. Um, so, all public companies issue uh, three major financial statements, the balance sheet, the income statement, and the cash flow statement. So the cash flow statement is readily available. Um, so you can see how a company's taking money in and paying money out. Um, the dividend is one of the lines on the cash flow statement, so you could easily see how that factors into the equation. Um, and if a company's dividend kind of exceeds its free cash flow, which is, as Michael said, the operating cash flow minus expenses, um, it could be a big red flag. Uh, that's the case in one of our examples coming up soon. So you'll see that more. Right. Um, yeah. I, if if a company is paying out cash, it should, generally speaking, <laughs> be pulling in more cash than it's paying out. And, and uh, another another piece to consider here is that uh, you know think of this um, as as a bit of a trade off, right? So dividend stocks, generally speaking, are not your especially high-yielding dividend stocks, which we're really talking about as these potential yield traps, tend not to be high-growth companies. Because if you're a a high-growth company in a fast-growing part of the market, you should probably be, generally speaking, reinvesting your cash in R&D and expanding operations and marketing and things like that so that you can really grow that subscriber base uh, or that customer base. The dividend is usually there as kind of uh, a sorry we're not growing so much <laughs> sort of thing for income investors um, who are looking for something that doesn't have uh, a ton of risk associated with it, um, and therefore, instead, they sort of provide this predictable, let's say, hopefully, um, payout to investors. So, uh, again, a company that's not generating a ton of cash and has a dividend, that's that that raises some questions. Um, and the fifth one, and you know, <laughs> It's funny because we've talked about nuance with all of these, and they all come with nuance. The fifth one is the most nuanced of all, which is problems with the business. Yeah, if you're um, retail is a great example right now um, of a business that's just having 
issues. Um, if the business itself, if there's something wrong with it, um, you know, customer cha- customer uh, tastes are changing. People aren't buying your product anymore. Your revenues have declined 50% over the past year. That's a big indication of a problem with a business. Uh, dividends are a function of a stock's price. If a stock's price gets cut in half, its dividend yield will double. So a lot of times, this is the reason you're seeing these excessive payouts. So a good thing I like to do if I see a dividend that looks too good to be true is just kind of look at a chart of the company's stock price over the past, say, two or three years and see if there's a giant drop-off in price. That could be a real big indication that something is just wrong with the business itself. Right. So, again, those kind of five major criteria, an unusually high dividend yield, excessive debt, high payout ratio, seemingly unsustainable payout ratio, little or negative cash flow, and problems with the business. Of course, we're not going to just keep this theoretical. We have three examples of companies that we wanted to vet as kind of potential yield traps. Of course, I'm going to say it again because I'm sure there are shareholders in these companies who are listening, some of whom are really excited about these companies. That is totally fine. We are not saying that they are yield traps. What we're saying is that um, they... Uh, by certain criteria, and we'll kind of walk through those, those criteria, um, these are potential issues that shareholders or prospective shareholders should be aware of, and they're why you and I, Matt, personally are staying away from them. But of course, your mileage may vary, your investment uh, goals may vary, and that sort of diversity of viewpoints and opinions is one of the things that we believe makes for a great investor community. So, with all that in mind, let's talk through CenturyLink ticker symbol CTL. First step, yield unusually high. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Telecoms are generally on the higher end of the spectrum. Like AT&T and Verizon are typically, depending on when you're looking, are within the 4 to 6% range as mm-hmm. far as yield. CenturyLink's over 11. So yeah. I would call that unusually high. Uh, yeah. Do- double is a <laughs> double is sort of one of those straw men that you set up as like, yeah, that's that's definitely there. Um, and excessive debt. I mean, their debt to equity is uh, 1.6 to 1. AT&T's by comparison, one point just under just under 1.2 to 1. So that's a pretty big difference. So it definitely checks that box, too. Let's talk about payout ratio. Yeah. So CenturyLink, um, they made an acquisition late uh, recently. So their earnings are a little distorted. So we'll get to the cash flow in a minute. But even so, they pay out over 100% of earnings as dividends based on both the past 12 months and the next two years of analyst projections, which, Michael, as Michael said, uh, an acquisition will distort your earnings for about a year. So in this case, it's over 100% for a three-year period. Yeah, definitely concerning. Um, little or negative cash flow. So they generated positive cash flow for the past two years, but they paid out dividends that were in excess of the free cash flow in 2017. Yeah, so the uh, free cash flow, which is was just the operating cash flow minus the expenses, um, the difference between those two was more than the dividend they paid out last year. So that's uh, that's concerning. That checks that box. Yeah, and then of course problems with the business. Yeah, not necessarily. I I don't see anything wrong with the telecom sector in general or CenturyLink's business. Right. So that would be a four out of five in this case. Yeah, which is. You know, again, for us, fairly concerning. Um, let's talk about annually capital management. That's ticker symbol NLY. Um, unusually high yield. Yes, it's eleven point five percent as of this morning, which is high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no matter what industry you're talking about, a double-digit dividend yield is going to be high. Um, annually is what you call a mortgage REIT, 
which is a real estate investment trust that instead of buying properties, they invest in mortgage securities. And going to the second point, excessive debt, the way mortgage REITs do this um, is if you say you can borrow at 2% interest and buy a mortgage that pays 3%, that 1% difference is called the spread, which is your profit. Nobody wants a 1% return on their investments. So these companies will borrow a, a lot of money in order to make big dividend yields like the 11.5% Annalee pays out. Um, in full disclosure, I've owned Annalee in the past. I don't right now, but I have in the past. Um, and I'm not necessarily calling this a yield trap, as Michael said, but there are certain risks involved with this stock. And this system can help you look a little deeper and kind of realize what you're getting into before you buy one of these. Right. Um, so speaking of the excessive debt, um, Adelie's debt to equity ratio is almost six to one, which is typical for a mortgage REIT, but is very high by any metric. Right. Um, and then, of course, payout ratio. So, and this is one of the areas where nuance matters. Um, it's about 90% of funds from operations that Annalie's paying out. That is a little high for a real estate investment trust, but it's not really that high. So, it doesn't actually check that box, even though you hear 90% of essentially the REIT version of earnings. Um, and you think, well, that seems like a really high payout ratio. Actually, for REITs, that's that's not necessarily. I, I've I've seen um, REITs that have you know really very successfully paid out dividends over a long time period, right around that uh, amount. So it doesn't actually check that box, even though in pretty much any other sector that would be a concern. Of course, cash flow is an issue. Yeah. So their cash flow statement it shows negative cash flows for the past four quarters and for three out of the past five years. Um, that's a concern. Um, that there's really no way around that. That's in three out of the past five years, they've paid out more money in total expenses than they've taken in. Yeah, and of course, problems with the business uh, at the moment. <clears throat> there don't appear to be any. I mean, so rising interest rates are putting some pressure on real estate investment trusts in general because they are such debt laden businesses, um, higher and and so dependent on debt to grow. Um, they struggle in a rising rate environment because they basically have to find sort of increasingly high-yielding investments to then successfully be able to, again, pocket that spread that Matt talked about earlier. Of course, the other piece of this is that you know this is a company that's basically betting on mortgages. That can get a little dicey if, let's say, the housing market turns. Now, I'm not saying the housing market's going to turn anytime soon, but you know, at some point, <laughs> Uh, you know, we 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 were all around during the financial crisis, and uh, we can see what kind of damage that can that can cause. And so there is a lot of risk attached to this dividend yield, um, even though right now there aren't any problems with the any really big problems with the business. So Annalie checks three of the five boxes. Let's talk about CBL and Associates properties. That's ticker symbol, as you might guess, CBL. The yield is almost twenty percent. Yeah, so that in itself should kind of tell you to stay away. Yep. In this case, in this case, checking one of the boxes maybe may actually be be enough. Um, but let's go through the whole thing. <laughs> CBL and Associates is an equity REIT, meaning that they actually own properties. They own shopping centers and not and malls, um, but not the really great kind. They own what are called B and C level malls, which are kind of the secondary, like the older malls, you know, things like that. Not not the Galleria. These are the smaller malls. Um, so they pay out almost 20% as of this morning. And just looking at their debt level, their debt to equity is 3.7 to one for REITs. You want to see closer to a one to one 
if if that. So th- they have an excessively high level of debt as of right now. Um, their payout ratio is not excessive just yet. But the problem with them is that they have a lot of they they have declining earnings first of all, and they ha- are have a lot of retailers in their malls that are in trouble. So the payout ratio is not excessive yet, but it's very possible it could be in the future. Yes, and so it, it makes sense for us to go ahead and jump forward to the fifth thing, problems with the business right now, and we'll come back to number four, which is little or negative cash flow in a second. Um, and that problems with the business, I mean, yeah, their malls and shopping centers have lots of exposure to troubled retailers, particularly Sears and JCPenney. And um, you know, we've all heard probably about um, you know America's dying malls. I used to live near one. Um, and um, CBL seems to be highly exposed to this potentially major issue. And this is why one of the reasons why you're seeing earnings kind of starting to decline, which again makes that yield really concerning. Um, cash flow, it's, it's low, but it's not negative. Um, and so it doesn't actually check that box. And, and just like I said with the payout ratio, it's not negative yet. It, it easily could be, uh, just to give you kind of a, this statistic scares me away from it, uh, 60% of CBL's properties are anchored by either a Sears or JCPenney. Oof. So that, that alone should scare anyone who knows anything about the retail business away from investing in that company, uh, especially if you think their long-term outlook is going to be nice. Right. So CBL and Associates uh, checks three of the five boxes, at least from our interpretation. So that's our take on three potential dividend yield traps. Um, as I noted earlier, if you want to talk, you know, if you if you want to sort of learn more about that, then can send you that checklist with a little bit more nuance and kind of writing about it, um, and. Uh, of course, an in-depth article that Matt wrote, actually, that, again, kind of further explores those concepts. Just send us an email at industryfocus.fool.com. We'll be happy to send it along. So, folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions, comments, you can always reach us at industryfocus.fool.com. As always, people in the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Steve Broido. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening. Fool on.